It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, everybody, welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs, and I am excited that you're tuning in today. This is a very special program because what we're going to be talking about over the next, I don't know, maybe few months even, is going to be this subject of the millennium. You know, we have covered a a number of studies in the book of Revelation here on this program, and we've really examined very closely some of the events taking place in the Middle East, even those taking place right now. And the purpose being that we want to prepare the saints for the work of ministry and that you're aware of what's going on around you as we look to the glorious return of Jesus Christ. And yes, as we understand then the 18 prophetic books of Scripture, we can look to the signs and see that things are moving rapidly to the return of Jesus Christ. And so we don't say these things to alarm you, but to prepare you. And as we now study about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, This is something that will give us great encouragement because we know at the other end of all the adversity that our nation is going through, and yes, the nations around the world are going through, that at the other end of all of this is the glorious return of Jesus, his reigning upon the earth, and all the saints gathered together with him. I say all of that because I know our hearts are heavy right now as we have been turning to the news and looking in just shock, perhaps, of what has transpired right now in Afghanistan. And if you are as grieved in your heart as I am, it can easily cripple us into a state of just depression even as we just see such turmoil and senseless loss of life. And I know that you were probably weeping in your heart. Perhaps there were literal tears coming down your cheeks as you saw what was happening while people were fleeing the country as planes taking off and individuals clinging to the sides of aircraft, waiting, hoping to just get on board somehow because of their fear and all of the pandemonium that was transpiring there in that country. These are people that are scared for their lives. And in Afghanistan, I don't know if you realize this, but the church in Afghanistan is the second fastest growing church worldwide right now. And so what we need to do is be praying for that church, praying for our brothers and sisters, Christians who are there experiencing this right now as their churches have grown, if people, as people have now received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and now they are confronted with the very harsh reality that they could lose their lives today even, maybe even next week, because people might call them out and they may be beheaded for their faith, and we need to pray for their protection, praying for the widows and the orphans and those disabled, for the women that might be persecuted there, raped even, for the men who have helped these United States, who have stood with us, and how they also may lose their lives. We need to pray a protection of Psalm 59 upon them, that they be delivered from their enemies, that the Lord would shield and protect them, but more importantly, that they not recant their faith that under such persecution, they not reject their Messiah out of fear. And what we're seeing is bold faith being demonstrated there 
And so our hearts are heavy, but we also know there is great hope in Jesus Christ for these who are going through such turmoil. And we believe that God is doing a mighty work, yes, even in the midst of this, there in Afghanistan and around the world. The testimonies continue to pour in about the growing church despite all of the persecution. And yes, as as an American patriot, I struggle with what I have just witnessed. I have in my office a flag that was flown over Kandahar between May 5th and June 5th of 2016. And it was a symbol of the strengths of the American people in the rebuilding of Afghanistan and the denying of safe haven for terrorists. But yet my heart mourns as yours does because we know those who have paid the ultimate price and sacrifice as they left their families here and some never came home or they came home in a casket some burn beyond recognition, some who have lost members of their their body, their limbs to, to roadside bombs and all these horrific things as they've sacrificed much. And we don't want their sacrifice to be dishonored in any way. And so our hearts grieve and rightfully so. And in that, we need to pray. And we ask that you would join with us as we pray. And we want to do that now as we now shift gears and talk about some of the things that are happening in the Middle East. And ultimately, as it all points to the glorious hope in Jesus Christ and his coming reign, that's what we want you to hear on Engage in Truth, that through all of this, Jesus is coming, and we believe he's coming soon. So join with me in prayer, if you would. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those men and women who have faithfully served for the past 20 years overseas around the world, but especially there in Afghanistan. We know that their labors are not in vain, that mighty works have been done, the church has been growing, now the second largest you have been doing mighty works there, Lord, in, in bringing up a redeemed assembly of people who will know you and walk with you, and yes, even walk with you and alongside you then in the millennium and beyond, that Lord, they were a faithful people unto you. Father, we thank you for those believers, and we thank you, Father, for the light that they are shining in the dark places, and we ask for your protection upon them, Lord, that that no weapon formed against them would prevail, and those who would possibly even lose their lives, as more than 70 million Christians did during the time of Nero and beyond, Father, our hearts grieve for that, but we know there is great commendation for such sacrifices. And we ask, Lord, that you would please protect those who are there and the work that's being done there. And Lord, we ask for restoration in that nation. We ask, Lord, a mighty work be done, perhaps even revival to happen. Lord, there's a miracle that is needed in that nation as there are miracles needed in this nation to bring us all to you. And we ask that nothing the enemy is attempting to do here would prosper, but that you bring it all to your glorious purposes and lives be saved ultimately. And we say this in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So here we are. It's now A wonderful opportunity for us over the next few weeks to talk about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And to help me do that here in the studio, my good friend, a man you have just come to know and love, and you know his love for the Lord, Dr. Steve Ford. Dr. Ford, it's so good to have you on Engage in Truth. Thank you, John. Thank you for that beautiful prayer. And we really do. We have such a heart. I know you and I both do for the people of Afghanistan and our brothers and sisters of Christ that are caught there, but also for those who valiantly serve their country. Mm You know, I think there may be people who are veterans and and families of veterans who just you know wonder what was the sacrifice for. Right. But I think you can definitely say one, as you stated, allowed the Christian church to to prosper. I mean, people came to salvation in Jesus Christ in that twenty year period of time. 
that might not otherwise because of the freedoms that they had. And I think you can also argue that they successfully kept terrorism over there instead of the homeland. So they protected the homeland for 20 years by keeping the battle there. They protected all of us so that we could worship and live in freedom. Yeah. So your sacrifices were not in vain. They are honored. We love all of you. We just we, we cherish you and your families. We so appreciate the sacrifices that were made. And we do pray for uh, the Afghan people, especially those who are brothers and sisters in Christ, that the Taliban's mind would be confused, their ears would be stopped, their eyes would be blinded, mm. that there would be confusion, weapons won't work, uh, that just any type of uh, turmoil that may interfere with the persecution of our brothers and sisters in Christ and just miraculous manifestations of the power of God, Lord Jesus coming in to save his church and save his bride. And we look forward to hearing those stories as people come out about how the Lord watched over them and blessed them and kept them. Amen. Amen. And and they're an inspiration to all of us. Definitely. You know, we've been talking about that on this program for a long time now, that we have a very, um, I, I don't know, maybe it's a Western perspective of adversity that has hindered us from the possibility that, that it, it hindered us, I think, from an understanding of what it means to suffer for Jesus Christ. Yes, we have many listeners who are going through a number of issues, uh, challenges, uh, great adversity. We've been talking about grief and overcoming that, and and, and even it's those overcoming of the of depression and, and these obstacles, these ebbs and flows and valleys that we go through as believers and our faith being tested and, and strengthened in the midst of this. But I think that there is this uh, illusion that uh, perhaps we're impervious to struggle. And I think that these things are going to come closer to home sooner than later. And as we look to our brothers and sisters that are fighting even for their lives now in Afghanistan and around the world as we see the persecuted church, it's not in any way going to be defeated. The church of Jesus Christ is moving on. It is invincible because he has deemed it so. He is building his church, and there's nothing that Satan can do about it. And yes, we may graduate from this flesh, and as we look to believers who are doing that, what we see is a commendable service unto the Lord when they can lay down their own lives as they have taken up the cross to follow Jesus quite literally. And, And that is inspirational to all of us that we get out of our complacent, apathetic mode that somehow that kind of adversity will never strike us here. We're, we're impervious to that somehow. Right. That illusion, I think, needs to go. We need to understand that look how fast a nation changed right. in a week. Yeah. Uh, look how fast things changed for Egypt in seven-year period of time. We see that in the book of Revelation, how quickly things change. And so we have to be flexible and ever ready, knowing that the Lord, in a, in a blink of an eye, uh, we may be called up to be with him as that trumpet blows, are we ready? Right, and and right. that's really what we're trying to do over these next few weeks yeah. is to prepare the bride of Christ for what is forthcoming for the glorious return of Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm so excited now. We, we've talked about some tough topics like the Antichrist, the Mark of the Beast. Right. Uh, we've talked about what has been what we can expect out of some things, perhaps of the Neo-Ottoman Empire and some of those issues going on across the Middle East of Gog and Magog. And, and sometimes those can be very intense studies that cause us a little consternation. But as we go through this now, looking to the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, I want our listener right now to be encouraged to tune in over these next few weeks 
Uh, we're going to cover a number of topics in this. We're going to look at the temple of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at uh, how we're going to worship him there. Uh, all the, the, the uh, just the amazing things that are happening. Do people live longer lives? Where are the believers during this period of time? Are there mortals with immortals? Uh, how, how do we worship Jesus? All these wonderful things that are going to happen during the millennial reign that Sometimes we're just ignorant of Scripture, and we don't have a clear picture of this. Right. So I'm excited that you're tuning in. I know, Dr. Ford, you had a whole list of questions for us to cover. Hopefully, we get through a few of them today. Yeah, I think uh, you make great points, as always. I think you know, we just need to be prepared to buckle up. It's going to be a bumpy ride. <laughs> but we do have some great things to talk about today, about what we have to look forward to. Amen. And one of the questions I had, we had discussed the Battle of Armageddon when we were discussing the Book of Revelation before. What happens after Armageddon? Yeah, okay, so let's uh, just take a brief snapshot of, we have this, uh, I don't know, maybe this perspective from film, or maybe a few books uh, on this idea of the Battle of Armageddon. Just in brief, uh, when we really look back here scripturally, there are several passages that talk about the Battle of Armageddon and what happens in this uh, massive battlefield of some 200 miles that stretches across Israel. I mean, from Megiddo, even from the Golan Heights, all the way down to the southern tip of Israel, we find this enormous battlefield, and it seems to be bookended. We, we don't have just sim simply a singular event, but a bookend, perhaps, of a series of battles, even right there in the final 10 days before the Lord's coming, or even at the beginning of the tribulation period, and then at the end of the tribulation period, uh, there's obviously something that has to set up a peace agreement in which the Antichrist comes to do right. that. And so we get this glimpse of something, perhaps in Psalm 83, of, of these nations that rise against Israel, and what appears to be a conglomerate of 10 nations, in fact, uh, some look to that of Turkey, Jordan, Lebanon, Gaza, the West Bank, Egypt, Syria, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Iran. We don't know where Afghanistan plays a role in that. Uh, that seems to be what's captured in Psalm 83. And then in Ezekiel 38, we get this, uh, this image then of what clearly uh, indicates this enormous battle, perhaps over many days, uh, not a very long period of time, but certainly over several days, that also is captured in a number of other books, including Isaiah and Zephaniah. Uh, Isaiah 14 all the way through 21 even highlights several nations that are caught up in that as Gog and Magog are assembled there to do battle against uh, God's people and ultimately Jesus Christ himself. Uh, so this, this battle then, we see Jesus Christ returning to the earth in Revelation 19, 11 to 21. The world's armies are gathered to face off against him, and we see that in Revelation 16 and Daniel 11. Uh, Jesus defeats them, as we would expect. <laughs> no brainer. Uh, Revelation 19, 17 to 21 and Isaiah 66 captures that. He destroys the armies that are attacking Jerusalem specifically, uh, unbelievably. I mean, in Zechariah 12 and 14, Joel 3, we get this image of even the in Zechariah 14 of this plague that destroys the armies. Their, their flesh and eyes and tongues suddenly rot as they're standing while they come against the Lord. The other soldiers panic and kill each other, according to Zechariah 14. And, and so we've got the series of battles that's covered between Revelation 14 and 19 right there at the end that's really summarized is this battle of Armageddon. And it's the winepress of God's wrath upon these wicked ones who had come against Israel and ultimately against Jesus Christ. And that's captured in Isaiah 63 throughout the book of Revelation, especially Jeremiah 25. 
And so this Jezreel Valley, it is about 200 miles. It goes all the way tip to tip, if you will. There will be bodies that are stacked some four and a half feet in height uh, to the horse's bridle, if you will. We see the blood flow and the bodies are stacked there. Uh, Ezekiel 39 then tells us immediately afterwards, because you wonder with a battle like that, what happens afterwards, right? right. I mean, it, it, um, it's quite, those are the, or maybe their morbid curiosities, but Ezekiel 39 gives us some answers to that, that it's a seven-month cleanup operation, and all these weapons that remain, and, and the bodies and so forth, and this cleanup that ensues, but there's a number of things that, as you pointed out, we have, a, we have questions over. What's going to happen to the planet Earth? What happens to the, to the uh, political or religious or even economic systems? Uh, everything that had been is now destroyed. I mean, the entire Babylonian system is gone, and now Jesus is going to reign. So what happens to Satan in the midst of all this? What happens to all the righteous dead, those who survived during the tribulation? These are the kind of questions that we tend to ask in this, right? right. Yeah, so as we read through just how horrific things were at the <laughs> end of the seven years of tribulation, as you get to the Battle of Armageddon, are there people who are still on the earth after all this has happened? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know you know the answer to that question because we've read it together. And <laughs> uh, uh, But for our listener, I think that's, you know, we get this just graphic sort of morbid imagery in our mind. If we've ever watched a, a war movie or two right. or maybe experienced it, we have a number of uh, veterans who are listening to the program and they've been through some horrific things. Uh, so they've seen some of these things, but you, you get this graphic image in, in the book of Revelation of even Revelation chapter 6, 7 to 8 of the sealed judgments, and a quarter of the population of the earth is taken. We've got the trumpet judgments of Revelation 9, the bold judgments of Revelation 16. Then you, in the midst of all of that, you've got these kind of judgments that are massive, and they don't really tell us exactly how many people are taken in those kind of judgments. are really hard to fathom because of the magnitude of them, not including the battle of Armageddon and all these armies that come against the Lord, or even the armies that are, uh, you know, demonically led um, that go out across the earth and take life in those. However you slice this, even at just the conservative level of 8 billion people on the earth that we could say, give or take today, we're down to about 4 billion people, half the population of the earth, and probably far less than that. Right. I, I've even heard as conservative as maybe 500 million people that remain on the earth or up to 4 billion. But no matter what, it's half the population at least that we have even right now if, if these things were to start tomorrow. Um, so that's a massive uh, d- display of judgment upon the earth and and the taking of life in the midst of all of this by battles and various plagues and calamities upon the earth. And, and so with all of this, what we find is this still leaves a large population of people who are not Christians still on the earth. And people ask me that, well, why would you say they're not Christians? How would we know that by the time the battle of Armageddon ensues? Well, here's what we can take from Scripture. Revelation 14, 13 suggests that those who are not raptured or redeemed, either by what we consider to be the Harpasso, perhaps by Revelation 7, or even Revelation 14, by the work of the 144,000, and the Lord himself uh, draws out his sickle and he takes up the harvest of the 144,000. At both points that wrath is poured out in the book of Revelation, there seems to be two redeeming points of a great harvest that come in by way of 
God's mercy to gather his people together. And then it says that the rest will be killed for their faith. Okay, so we have two gatherings, and in that short period of time after the second gathering, there would be these who would give their lives unto the Lord. So the gathering of the saints that we see in Matthew 24, 29 to 31 and Jude 14 to 15 takes place in heaven because all the saints are with the Lord and are prepared for the wedding supper with the Lamb that we read in Revelation 19, Matthew 25, 22, and Luke 14. So really, those who remain on the earth are unbelievers even after Armageddon. So that brings up a number of questions of how does all of that work then? Because if all of these believers remain and now Jesus Christ has come back victoriously, he comes down on the Mount of Olives, cracks it in half, according to Zechariah. This is the fourth earthquake, by the way, that Israel will have experienced with Jesus Christ himself descending down on that mount. And and all of these who are in defiance to him and and raising fist and sword before him dissolve as they stand, and the rest of the battlefield has to be cleaned up thereafter. This brings up then the question that all of these now unbelievers are seeing Jesus Christ in his new glorified body, King of kings, Lord of lords, and there's white horses all around him. What happens next, right? (laughs) That's usually where the narrative ends for many of us. We know that part. Yep. But then we've got a thousand years of something happening, and that's what we need to explore, I think, in the program that obviously we're not going to be able to get to today in our final minutes. And uh, and Dr. Ford, I know that before we are able to probably go on, let me just just preface this with our listener. We need to talk about some key things perhaps next week as we look at then what happens to Satan, uh, how is Christ reigning? What's the final battle look like? And then maybe we even touch on the great white throne judgment there afterwards, after this thousand year period. Thousand years is a lot to cover. And it seems like we're getting glimpses of it scripturally. But our hearts, you and I, our hearts were heavy before the program as we've been talking about Afghanistan. And I just can't shake it because I keep seeing these images, people falling off airplanes. I have texts coming in from our missionaries around the world, even people in that area and the loss of life is unbelievable. While the, while the media is trying to create this glossy image in some ways of saying, oh, the Taliban are promising not to hurt the women, and, and they're going to give this rosy picture about Sharia law and all these things that are going on. And it seems like we're being deceived in these areas. Uh, it, but it does bring to mind then how swiftly everything can change for all of us, even in a, without even a moment's notice. And I know our hearts are then for those who, as we see this tragedy unfolding before our eyes, our hearts have been heavy then for those who are listening right now, whether or not they even know the Lord, because that's our heart. In the end of this, we can explore all of this wonderful information, but if we don't know the Lord personally, then it's just more information. And so Dr. Ford, I don't know, maybe you can just share with our listener just in that, the final minutes together, how they can know the Lord. Yeah, I think, John, I think you make great points as always, and we talked about how things changed so quickly in Afghanistan and how things changed so quickly here with COVID right. and just the, the family and friends that we know recently who have been in major car accidents and just how swiftly a life can change. And even as I talked about, you know, my wife, when we were talking about grieving, she was there one night, she was gone the next morning. Mm. So things can change in an instant and you need to know where you stand for eternity. This is, as, as scripture says, we're just a vapor. We're just here temporarily, That's right. but we need to think about where we want to spend eternity and please, 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 we want you to 
think about spending eternity with us, with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if, if any of you would like to accept the Lord as your Savior today, I'd like you to follow in this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I have sinned. I followed my own way instead of yours. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior all the days of my life. In your name I pray. Amen. 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 And if you have, maybe you just said that prayer right now, and we know that if we confess with our mouth, Lord Jesus, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's a promise. But it also comes with iron sharpening iron. It comes with the discipleship to understand what that means when we declare that Jesus is God. He's Lord of our lives, and we believe that he truly has defeated death and and broken us free from the shackles of bondage of sin and shame, and we're no longer held by Hades gates, but we have life in Jesus Christ. If you need help in walking through this, you have friends and family at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church, and you can reach out to us at calvaryfountain.com. You can just log on our website there, our phone number, email address. It's all there for you. And we'd love to hear from you and walk with you in this life together as believers in Jesus Christ. Our Lord's services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sunday. We would love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. We'll see you next week.